the B Fox and B Frank show. We are back after the holiday break. Let us be the last to wish you a happy new year. I hope everyone had a, uh, a lovely Christmas as well. We have one football game left this year. Um, but before we talk about the national championship game, we have to pay our respects to, I mean, one of one of the greatest days of football, um, college football that I can remember in quite a long time. And that is, of course, Iowa, Kentucky. Um, mm-hmm. But also on top of that, uh, this is all joking aside, I think pretty clearly the best pair of semifinals uh, since you know, this, uh, this 14 playoff has taken shape. Um, it is a lot of fun when chaotic things happen. It is a lot of fun when teams gain yards and score points, um, much better than some of the alternatives we've had over the years. And I mean, it was, uh, it was just all around a, a fun night. I was, I was enjoying watching very much. 100% great games, tons of fun. I think it was either the Reddit college football account or um, no context college football. I can't remember who had a tweet of just every scoreboard picture of every semifinal up until this point, And not a single one was truly that competitive. Um, there were some decent games for a, a average amount of time in in any of those but there was nothing like what we got on uh new year's eve this year definitely not the the first game big 10 goes uh oh and two on the night spoiler alert but the first game tcu michigan uh bananas game three turnovers for both teams four touchdowns for max duggan um i mean tcu just finding a way to move the ball against michigan which Pretty much everyone else has struggled to do this year, um, even at times Ohio State, who we know has a very good offense. Um, but this was very entertaining, kind of the reverse of a lot of TCU's games this year because the, the Horn Frogs jumped out to a lead. They're able to, to take advantage of some, some big plays. Michigan got closer, um, but, you know, couldn't win this game. And, and Harbaugh... Uh, I don't know the exact quote, but I think he said something like the real winner of this game was football, which is just so Harbaugh, but that is, that is, that is a true statement. And also TCU. Yes. Uh, it, this game could have gone very differently. It felt like it was going to first offensive play of the game. Donovan Edwards goes for a 54 yard run, Michigan, basically in the red zone already. And you think, Oh shit, here we go again. TCU's going to, get exploited for some big plays. They're going to go down early and have to come back in this game. Huge stop on fourth down, really puzzling play calling by Michigan, really yeah. inside the red zone the entire entire evening. It, it obviously costs them. Credit to Michigan in that I did not know they had a big play offense. I did not know they were big play capable unless it was on the ground. Um, Blake Corum obviously was that guy all year long, did not play because of a knee injury. And then TCU's offense, and well, I guess the defense being able to rise to the occasion, really bend, don't break inside the red zone. And when they force turnovers, they really make them count. The fumble at the goal line was just nothing short of incredible because that was a touchdown. Whether you are a Michigan fan or not, I think it was a touchdown. Um, and then two pick sixes on J.J. McCarthy, who otherwise was pretty solid all night. He 
and on the ground when Michigan needed him to. The story of the game, though, is TCU's offensive line. They got the job done when they needed to. DeMarcado's their third running back. And granted, it's, you know, college, you have a way bigger roster, tons of guys on scholarship, but Kendra Miller couldn't couldn't make it throughout the entire night. And DeMarcado picked up the load and was awesome throughout. And, and that helped win this game for TCU. It is still, you know, little old Texas Christian University. Like, we're not talking about Alabama where you know the third guy is still a five-star. It's like right. that, was, that was kind of one of the conversations coming in. Is, you know, TC has been playing good football. Do they have the Jimmys and Joes to match up with the other three teams this playoff? I think the answer is clearly yes, um, if we didn't know that already. But, yeah, the, the, this was uncharacteristic for Michigan in a lot of ways, and you alluded to some of them, just the turnovers, they, they took care of the ball really well all season, and also just kind of inverting the offense to what you would expect. Like, they were they were hitting on the big plays, getting that long play all the way to the one-yard line. Um, would have been a touchdown in the NFL. I choose to trust the officials. Uh, made the right call here. Um, Fair. But then in the red zone, uh, just a, a really weird – call um, that I think would have been better served if they had more field to work with the first time they're in the red zone on fourth down. And yeah. then, you know, they're able to hit the big play. They give it right back fumbling on the doorstep. And now is really, I mean, one of the things that, that helped propel TCU to such a big lead um, earlier than anyone would anticipate in this game. Um, and just not enough for Michigan to come back. But I mean, this is, Nearly 100 points between the two teams. Just absolutely ridiculous. Like, TCU played the game they wanted to play. Michigan did not. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, like, to to the point of um, whether the officials got that call right or wrong, you're at the one. You should score 99 times out of 100 at least in that scenario, especially when you have a great running game and a, a dual-threat quarterback like McCarthy. You have so many options to work with, and, and they just did not do that. But you, like you said, this is exactly how TC wanted this game to go. I think if if you had told us beforehand that it was going to get to 96 points, we would have both said that TCU is probably winning that game. Yeah. Um, but the manner in which they did it was, was impressive. And, of course, Quentin Johnston could not be kept off the score sheet. He had a huge, huge touchdown late in that game. Uh, just making one man miss, and then it was a foot race after that. Yeah, just toying with the defense. And again, this is Michigan defense that was, you know, top three nationally all year. TCU made them look very ordinary for long stretches of this game. Um, mm-hmm. Just, again, this, I mean, it's Harbaugh's got to be happy with a lot of things uh, this season, you know, continued dominance over Ohio State, winning the Big Ten again. Um, but this, this game was, was not kind of the, the Michigan football that we've come to know over the, the last couple of years has kind of reinvented right. uh, the program. But you know, they're, they're able to keep up for most of the game. But, I mean, it's not to twist the knife too much, but I feel like you've got first and goal at the one with Michigan's run game against TCU's undersized defensive line. I feel like, I mean – 99 times out of 100, you're probably getting a touchdown if you just run the ball three times. But that was not going to happen on this day. 
Somebody must have asked Pete Carroll what, what the play was. Yeah. <laughs> um, second game, Georgia, Ohio State. Um, yeah, weirdly, I, I think more people had written off TCU than Ohio State just because of, you know, the name brand and what we know the Buckeyes can do. That being said, right, I still think Georgia was coming into uh, this playoff as – a pretty big favorite. Um, I know Vegas disagreed. I did take the points with Ohio state, but it seemed like, you know, we saw what happened when they matched up with Michigan last year, TCU's wild card, and we'll see that game. But, you know, Ohio state was, was really coming into this game with some negative energy. A lot of people doubting Ryan day and pretty much played as well as you could play against Georgia without actually winning. Um, Mm -hmm. CJ Stroud for me, was the the big story for Ohio state in this one. Uh, Some of the the ways he was able to dominate um, and just take over a game is a little reminiscent for me from uh, Justin Fields in the playoff when he was in college, Uh, just putting Ohio state team on his back. But, Again, similar to what TCU did um, against Michigan, who's able to make a very, very, very good defense look suspect um, at times. Just a truly stock-raising performance from him. But you can play that well, and Georgia's still talented enough to beat you, which is the disheartening part if you're Ohio State. It is. They they did play as well as they could have. Obviously, you could have, you could want a little bit more as it was a one point loss. But I think yeah. anytime again, I'll go back to the same thing I said before. If you told Ohio State fans you're scoring 41 points in the semifinal against Georgia, I think they say yes, absolutely, and we'll win that game. Um, CJ Stroud was great. The run game was non-existent, and despite that, it seemed like the Ohio State offensive line was doing a really nice job dealing with the Georgia pass, ru- pass rush. They did have four sacks, but it seemed like whenever Stroud needed time and space, they were able to give it to him. Um, and that's where he was able to exploit this defense for 348 yards through the air and four touchdowns. The Marvin Harrison injury obviously changed this game offensively for the Buckeyes. He was having a really nice night. Um but man, oh man, when Georgia needed it, it just got scrappy and they found ways to make plays. And it's been said by a ton of different people already, but that has to be the greatest time out in the history of college football by Kirby Smart, right? Yeah. And uh, the the one thing Ohio State definitely doesn't feel great about is blowing a 38-24 lead. Um, yeah. But other than that, um, it's the closest you can come to a moral victory when you are an Ohio State football fan, which never happens. Um I mean, that game, it, Georgia looked dead in the water. It looked yeah. like it was over. Ohio State was getting ready to drive again. I think they got held to a field goal, and that's when the tide started to turn, if I'm remembering it correctly. Uh, yeah, at the end of the third quarter, they ended up getting held to that field goal. And then you're like, okay, maybe if Georgia can come down and score, they've got a chance here. And then eventually <laughs> they got back in it. But man, oh, man, I was sweating. Yeah, I, it was it was a wild finish. Um, yeah, I mean, credit to Stetson Bennett in Georgia. Quick little two minute drill at the end there to uh, you know come back down six, mm-hmm. drive to uh, find Mitchell for the go ahead touchdown, and then you know a a shot 
at a uh, a game winning field goal in the semifinal, which would have been an all timer, but unfortunately did did not really live up to the moments. Not even mm-hmm. close. Um, also, like. We talked about this before, we as a society. It's like we we need to get these games very far away from New Year's Eve. Um just gotta gotta figure that aspect of it out. Um because that was that was precarious for a lot of people, uh, especially on the East Coast of kind of the mm-hmm. that kick happening at the same time as, as midnights, um, if you're into that sort right. of thing on New Year's. But um yeah, I mean Two very good, very, very competitive games. If the games are like this every year, I guess I could settle for more New Year's Eve um, playoffs. But also, let's just get it to 12 ASAP and and get that over with. Yeah, that'll change things for sure. Um, But the timing was certainly interesting. Uh, Not not a lot of happy people at the New Year's Eve party I was at watching that (laughs) on my phone. Uh, now the national championship, obviously we got rid of the big 10. So we've got TCU, we've got Georgia, SoFi stadium. Who do you got? They got here somehow, some way I'm going to take TCU. Uh, Georgia looked human against Ohio state. Obviously the Buckeyes have an, an excellent quarterback in Stroud. They have a solid offensive line and they have, you know, great receivers. I think TCU has a good mix of all of that. My concern is the defense. They were getting absolutely torched through the air by J.J. McCarthy. Anytime Michigan needed to come down and make a big play, it was done through the air. The receivers getting behind the secondary and just finding nothing but open space. Stetson Bennett can absolutely take advantage of that. A guy like Brock Bowers is going to feast over the middle if that is the case again. It's going to be a battle in the trenches. Whoever wins that offensive line of TCU versus the D-line of Georgia, I think, will come out on top. I think we're going to see more points again in this game. It wouldn't surprise me if we're in the 40s, and I think TCU is able to eke it out and win a title. Yeah, I think TCU needs to play a similar type of game. I've got Georgia. I I definitely think it would be more fun if TCU were to win, um, mm-hmm. but I, I think i got to go with Georgia here. Um I mean, you kind of alluded to it. I, I think Stetson Bennett is clearly a better quarterback than than JJ at this point in his career. I mean, he's the same age as Lamar Jackson. He's been around the block. Um, yeah. And he also has better downfield threats um, than Michigan has because they've just been so run-focused. Um, so I think that'll be very challenging for TCU defensively. Um, that was certainly the weaker unit of the Horn Frogs this year. Um, and, yeah, I mean, TCU's certainly able to score points like Georgia is not that much of a step up from Michigan um, defensively. So that's encouraging at least. Um, So I I think it'll still be a competitive game, but I I think Georgia is going to, going to go back to back the end of the day. That's in Bennett going to go down in the history of college football as a back to back national champ. Yeah. He would have earned it. Um, all right, college basketball. Um, so we've, we've been off for a couple weeks there. There weren't a lot of games, uh, leading up to Christmas, which is part of that motivation. Um, Indiana beat Kennesaw state. And as 
the one everyone was highlighting. But uh, last week, there was a lot more going on. A um, lot of top teams falling, a lot of uh, a lot of other drama happening on and off the courts. Um, let's start in the Big East. Uh, one of the big winners for me was the Xavier Musketeers, um, giving yep. the first loss of the season to a team that I certainly thought was the best in college basketball up to this point in the season, UConn, who had been blowing everyone out. Uh, Cintas Center, people forget, tough place to play. Um, and for the vast majority of that game, uh, it seemed like Xavier was had the game as comfortably in hand as you can against a team as talented as UConn. Uh, they were able to, to stave off a run or two, um, but for the most part, this was a game that, that Xavier came out with a lot of energy. They went through uh, their bigs pretty well. Suli Boom had another good game, and they were able to neutralize UConn, I mean, clearly much better than anyone else has been able to. Yeah, just balanced scoring attack. Jerome Hunter off the bench was was awesome with 15 points and five boards. When Fremantle plays like that, they're a very hard team to beat because you know what you're going to get out of guys like Colby Jones, like Zach Nungy, and now Suli Boom. Those are three plus talents, not only in the Big East, but across the country. Like That is a very good top three guys to have. You can count on a guy like Hunter to come off the bench and spell uh, Nunji or Fremantle, but if you have Fremantle clicking as well, where he has 16 points, 11 boards, five assists, three steals, they're they're a very difficult team to beat, and that's what UConn ran into. Um, you saw UConn's weakness in this game. Three point shooting is not a strength for this squad. They were 13 of 37, um, but it comes down more more in that regard to shot selection than anything like they they had a chance to to stay in this game and to win it they were not able to do it they needed to be significantly more aggressive off the bounce they lost this game 21 to 9 in terms of foul calls and that is a direct result of their shot selection and so Danny Hurley probably isn't happy with that but when you go back and look you see that you lose by 10 on the road at a tough place to play you know the crowd's going to be up for this because you are the number two team in the country at this point and you only take, took nine free throw attempts, like that, that's an easy fix. You just got to get your offense slashing to the rim, going downhill, doing what his team has been doing all season long. Um, so great win for Xavier. They are 4-0 now in the Big East, tied with another surprise team, Providence, who may or may not actually be good. I'm still not sure. We'll never. Um, but that this is... I think this is the best win in college basketball this year. Others will say another team that knocked off number one yesterday is better. Oh, I wouldn't. Up for debate. Yeah. Um, no, I, yeah, this, this was more impressive to me for sure. Um, is yeah. Like you said, you, you shoot 24 fewer threes, you shoot 19 more free throws. Those seem pretty, Pretty clearly linked. And, and I, I love Jerome Hunter in the context of this savior team. Um, obviously, I always have a soft spot in my heart for him. But at Indiana, mm-hmm. he was just kind of, as far as the rotation went, just trying to get uh, playing time there. He was never going to be an interior player when you have, you know, Trace Race and everyone else uh, down there kind of clogging up minutes. So he would just become largely a, a spot-up guy on the wing, which he was very good at, weirdly enough. But... I think this looks a lot more natural um, for him. He, he's bulked up a little bit. Um, he's been able to 
to play with more strength in the post. And I mean, he gets the free throw line and shot nine for nine from there in this game. Um, that's, that's exactly what you need coming off the bench. Um, I, I think he's going to be a, a great depth piece for the savior team uh, as the season progresses. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I selfishly love that Xavier continues to play well um, and, and win, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, this is, it's a team that, uh, you know, it's kind of weird because, Enough people liked them that they were voted second in the preseason poll in the Big East, but there were a lot of people that also were a little surprised by that. So it's kind of, I think by this point, they've they've proven they're a serious contender. UConn is still going to have a lot to say about it at the end of the day. We'll see what mm-hmm. happens with Providence. Um, I, I think they'll just keep finding ways season after season. Um until we start to hype them in the preseason again, then they'll go back to being disappointing. But uh, Xavier, Xavier is a it's a big statement here, um, and I mean, Sean Miller is is already making yeah. people forget about Travis Steele. So that's that's another win too. I mean, it's it, granted it's year one. He's inherited a vast majority of this roster, but like, oh yeah, the exact issues that Xavier fans had with Travis Steele are the things that Sean Miller is doing well and excelling at right now. It was winning the big games. It was when you have the target on your back, keeping your team focused. And so far they've been doing well under both those circumstances. So they've got a long way to go. Obviously only four games into the big East schedule, 16 more to play. Uh, They have not taken on, uh, I think it was Creighton or Villanova. Yeah, they've, they've got, Wins over powerhouses Georgetown, St. John's, and Seton Hall, and then they obviously cleaned it up with UConn, but they've got Villanova, Creighton, Marquette, who's playing well, uh, all coming up here still. Yeah, just lastly, quickly to, to build on what you just said, um, I mean, just the coaching showing the mental fortitude to not freak out and panic when you know, you're dominating almost all the first half, and then UConn goes on a run, and you find yourself losing at halftime. Came out the second mm-hmm. half back to what they did well in the first half. And uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely a, a market change. Yeah. Who is, uh, who's another winner for you? So I went off the beaten path a little bit this week. I decided to give some of the mid majors a shout. So I have the college of Charleston who yeah. has cracked the top 25, 13 straight wins, second longest streak in the country. They are two and O in CAA play 14 and one on the year. Pat Kelsey is a great coach, and I don't think enough people know this. Um, he has his only loss this year is to then number one, North Carolina. They have wins over Richmond, Davidson, Virginia Tech, who's played well this year, Colorado State, Stetson, who started hot and faded a little bit. Uh, and they still have the rest of the colonial grind to go through, um, but they are sitting pretty and they have played some really good basketball to this point this season. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was kind of coming out onto the scene when they won their own tournament. Um, and mm-hmm. I will begrudgingly give credit to Jeff Goodman. I do remember last off season when they hired Pat Kelsey, he was very, uh, very high praise for that move. Um, so he does get some of those coaching hire takes, right. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it would be disingenuous for me to point out that Charleston lacks some of those bigger wins. We are on this show. We are in the 
the Al Davis camp of just win, baby. You can only play who's mm-hmm. on your schedule. Um, and they have been doing that. Um, UNC was a much better team two games into the season before they started losing games. There's no shame in, in losing to last year's national runner-up. Um, I think there's potential for interesting conversations down the road, depending on how colonial play goes. There are some, there's some tough games here. Certainly. Um, you know, yeah. Towson's been a little disappointing so far this year, but, um, Wilmington looks good. That's going to be a tough out. Yeah. Wilmington is, is probably the the biggest contender right now. Drexel also two and O in CAA play. Um, but you know, Assuming Charleston doesn't run the table, it would be awesome if they did. But if they don't run the table, I feel like there's going to be some an annoying at-large uh, conversations, and I, I would really like yeah. to avoid them uh, being like Monmouth and go like twenty-eight and four and miss the tournament. <laughs> right. Um, but that that was that was a rain cloud of doom onto a, a positive segment. So I will just say, keep it up. Good good job on the winning streak. Um, I. I had a, a similar note, just we haven't really talked much about New Mexico. They are 14-0. Yeah. People forget that. Um, Last undefeated. The Mountain West, too, is just, I think there were like six teams with 11 or more wins. Um, and like the team that obviously injuries come into play, but the, the team that I was highest on a lot, or second highest on, um, a lot of people were very high on Wyoming, might be the worst team in the conference. Um, certainly when yeah. they're without EK. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they have been playing like it, but New Mexico 14 and no Jamal Mashburn jr. Has been great. Um, I mean, Richard Patino reinventing himself uh, in the pit, beating his dad um, among, among other teams. Uh, there, there's not really a, a power six signature win. You know, SMU is not as good as SMU typically is. Um, that's kind of the, the, the power seven win they could hang their hat on. They have beaten St. Mary's. They have beaten San Francisco. So a couple more data points that I think bumped them just a, a bit above Charleston, and they're going to have a ton of opportunities in what I hope continues to be a very competitive, very deep Mountain West conference. Um, but this is a start to the season. I don't know if anyone saw coming, um, but it's, it's, been, it's been pretty darn impressive. Yeah, they they look good. I mean, again, some some people may forget that New Mexico has historically been a very good basketball program over the last 20 or 30 years, and the pit was one of the toughest places to play. So credit to Richard Patino for getting the boys back in shape there. Um, they score a ton. They're, they are actually – they play a fun brand of basketball. They shoot it really well. Uh, don't turn it over a bunch, and, and – the uh, passing Jalen house has been awesome this season. Uh, he he's averaging about five and a half assists per game. Um, really just distributing the, the ball well for that offense. Yeah. And I'll, uh, they've got some winnable games coming up, but I don't want to jinx it tonight, but they should <laughs> beat Fresno state um, later after we record this uh, to go to three and now, but maybe they won't. We'll see. But either way, uh, Mountain West as a whole looks very good again uh, so far this season. It does. Uh, uh, last one for me right now, uh, Missouri. The, yeah. The Tigers looking looking pretty sharp. This is one of the – when we're going through the, the gauntlet of first-year SEC coaches, like 
Kobe Brown's here. It's a lot of uh, low mid-major transfers. How's it going to work together? So far, very well. Um, you know, the, the Tigers had their first big test, got egg on their face a little bit against Kansas. Like, is this team legitimate? I think at this point we can say this is a, a tournament-quality team. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously the rest of the season to go. But so far, the resume speaks for itself. Back-to-back blowouts over two of the bigger teams on their schedule, Illinois in the bragging rights game, and then Kentucky, the aforementioned Kobe Brown, 31 and 30 in those games. And this is the fourth best team in offensive efficiency on Ken Palm. Uh, so Dennis Gates pushing all the right buttons early. And I mean, it, it shows. And they're doing it all without Isaiah Mosley, who was yeah probably the most highly touted recruit they, that they, or excuse me, transfer that they picked up this off season. He had 20 points, uh, six rebounds, two and a half assists per game last year at Missouri state. He has not played since December, uh, due to a personal issue that he's dealing with. Um, and they are still just cooking offensively. They look great. They're making plays all over the floor. It's early, obviously, still. We are at uh, January 3rd as we record this. They've got a long way to go in a very tough, very deep SEC. All right, I'll take that second part back. It's a tough SEC. I don't know if it's a deep SEC. Um, but they've got a lot of work to go, and and they've built themselves a great resume already. So a lot of wiggle room here. If they can finish at or near 500, I think they're going to be perfectly fine getting an at-large bid. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah, the SEC is where they're, I mean, ships passing in the nights. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Missouri is a team we weren't expecting much from. Some of the teams we did expect a lot from have not really delivered on that so far. Um, so maybe it'll even out, but I mean, Missouri has is, is definitely played their way comfortably into the field so far. They'd have to really backslide to, to undo all of the good work they have up to this point. Uh, any any other winners on your end? Yeah, last one I'm going to say is Florida Atlantic. The Owls are 12-1. and one. They are 12th in the net rankings. They are 35th in Ken Palm. They are a good basketball team. Uh, their lone loss this season came at Ole Miss, the second game of the year. Since then, they have beaten Florida on the road. They've beaten Bryant. They have beaten – they blew the doors off Eastern Michigan, who turns out is not a great basketball team. And they got a nice road win against North Texas, who has been solid this season. Uh, they are 2-0 up there with UAB. They will be contending in the CUSA this year. And they can compete for an at-large bid. They probably would have to split at worst with UAB and then win – win the games you should and you've got a chance but the metrics love them they play great basketball uh and they they look good on paper so top 50 both offensive and defensive efficiency in ken palm i mean that that is the playbook for you know mid-major programs just win all or all but one if you're non-conference gonna gonna games put yourself I hate that I'm using a, a Rothsteinism, but in position to be in position, um, yep. which I think is the only time that it has actually made sense in context. Uh, but that that's or they are in the metric. The the one thing working against uh, Charleston is they're a little less beloved by uh, by certain metrics than 
you know, team like Florida Atlantic, but I do, I do remember watching uh, that Florida game and being very impressed. And, and yeah, the conference USA is, is no slash of a conference. We've seen uh, teams do well in March, UAB, North Texas. Um, so Florida Atlantic could very easily be the next. Um, just, you know, have to make the most of uh, conference play. Mm-hmm. That's all for winners. Um, I mean, we kind of mentioned Missouri, so I'll just, it feels like punching down at this point, but Kentucky, it's, uh, and we've got, we've got Cal coming out now and saying he's just basically not going to use his bench anymore. Um, just really tightening up the rotation, um, with, you know, just basically Wallace Wheeler, Toppin, Shibwe, and maybe a little rotating cast of characters on the side. It, like we're getting to the point where it's like the, uh, the meme of trout Notani with angel scores. It's like yeah. just consistently out here. Shibwe is putting up like 28 and 19 in Kentucky losses. And it is just so disheartening. Cause I do really like him, um, mm-hmm. but it's the, the offense that is around him is, is just so depressing. And it seems like this could be getting worse before it gets better. Um, Kind of like we were talking about with Missouri. Missouri is greatly outperforming expectation. Kentucky, you know, seemingly against all odds is not because, you know, maybe we just greatly overestimated uh, the loss of Ty Ty Washington. Thought there was a lot of good college experience on this team. But, I mean, said the risk of sounding like a broken record. It uh, does not appear to be doing much good. Like, Louisville is a get-right game. I know a lot of people still weren't happy with that performance. It's just like it's Louisville this year. I, I right. Can, we can talk about them some more, but we know what they are. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's I, SEC play could be could be very unforgiving. Um, so it was not a, a good early showing against Missouri, and there are you know certainly tougher teams out there um, like a Tennessee who is currently just putting it on Mississippi state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, like you said, this is, this is a more experienced team that Cal has. So it is definitely surprising. You have the national player of the year back. You have a guy in severe Wheeler who's been around the block for a while. You have Jacob Toppin, you have CJ Frederick come over from Iowa. A guy who's played a ton of games, Antonio Reeves, while at Illinois state, lower levels still has played a bunch of games. Jacob Toppin, like these are all guys that have played multiple seasons in college basketball. It's not like you're going out there with 12 freshmen as he's almost done in previous seasons. There is really no reason that this team should be underachieving like they are. Yeah. It's, I mean, they're more, they're much more talented um, than like a Purdue. They're basically getting the same results. Like Zach Eady is putting up numbers around, I mean, a solid, but I mean, let's be honest, a much worse supporting cast than what Shibuya mm-hmm. has at Kentucky. And Purdue is winning almost all of their games. But almost, I mean, the the, the vibes could not be more diametrically opposed between those two programs. Um, yeah, which brings me no pleasure to say, but that is just <laughs> God's honest truth. Uh, give give me another loser. I'm gonna give you Iowa. The Hawkeyes did the impossible, losing as a 30 plus point favorite against Eastern Illinois. 
They followed that up with just 50 points at Nebraska in a uh, 66-50 loss. And then they played at the Octagon of Doom, a.k.a. the Bryce Jordan Center, and lost 83-79. That was with Chris Murray in the lineup. They are quickly 0-3 in Big Ten play. All of the goodwill that they picked up in the non-conference is gone. And they are literally fighting for their lives right now at the bottom of the Big Ten. Uh, things look Chris Murray and hope that if he misses, you get a rebound. Otherwise, there's nothing much there at this point. Uh, they've got Indiana yeah, <laughs> coming up in two days. I'm sure you are not thrilled about that. No. <laughs> um, followed by at Rutger and then home for Michigan and Maryland. Four, I would say, not easy games whatsoever. Um, I think they need to win at least two of these, and probably the road game at Rutgers is a must-win to just boost their resume back up. But they 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 could very well be in trouble here. They could, but it'll come at a later time than Thursday. The, I I didn't like this game. I really don't like this game now because <laughs> Iowa is desperate. They have. Uh, even what Patrick McCaffrey is stepping away from the program today to uh, kind of deal with his mm-hmm. anxiety. Um, Chris Murray is just going to, it's going to go off as I don't think TJD is a hundred percent. And yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm very worried about that game, which does not bode well for the rest of the season, but I, it, it kind of leads into another loser uh, just the big time. Um, I, I am a, a broken record at times on this show, but I cannot stress enough how much the big Ten sucks and we're in the trust tree. I fear more and more by the day that I, I think Wisconsin is going to win the big Ten. I am, oh, no. I am, I am deathly afraid of this. Um, I think it's Michigan right now and uh, that, that might be worse than Wisconsin. It would and it wouldn't. Um, I, I they're playing each other this weekend, aren't they? They're I think soon. so. Or no, maybe not. No, I made that up. Did they, oh, not not for another month. Oh, I just saw Hunter Dickinson talking about them, but yeah, they don't play until yeah. Valentine's Day. That they're at weird. Michigan State. That, that okay. was the game. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I because Purdue. Like Purdue is is I think pretty clearly punching above their weight. I think best case scenario, their last year's Kentucky team, um, in the you get to the tournament as like one guy doing everything. Like maybe mm-hmm. they win the first round game, but like th- this is not a team that has realistic, you know, Final Four or anything like that aspirations. I mean, Indiana's been been disappointing. Trace is banged up. Xavier Johnson's out indefinitely. They're putting Tamar in the starting lineup now, so we'll see if that helps. But hard to feel confident about then. Illinois is imploding. Um, yeah. Just everything since Texas has been, like, really bad locker room vibes there, uh, which is a little disappointing since such a talented team. Uh, Michigan is out here losing to Central Michigan. Um, I mean, barely over 500 on the year. I, I don't know. I I, I like Penn State. I think Penn State, Penn State is consistent. Penn State plays fun, non-Big yeah. Ten basketball. Like they, they do. are, they are an outlier. They are manna in the desert. Um, they just shoot a lot of threes, play fast. Jalen Pickett is really fun. Not looking mm-hmm. forward to playing them, but 
if they find a way to to fuck around and win the big ton, I'm not going to stand in their way. Oh, the other one, Maryland, extremely fraudulent. It's another yeah. team that just highlights surprise, my, surprise. my original points. Uh, it's not it's very it, bad vibes there. It's not even or it's just now January. So wait for the swoon to hit Maryland. They'll they'll nosedive down the standings, and people will want Turgeon back. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to beat that bad by an objectively bad uh, Michigan team, then yeah. yeah. Um, Michigan State, I don't believe in. Are you gonna? You're not gonna talk me into a ten and three Northwestern. So yeah, Wisconsin. I I, I can't really believe in Ohio State either. Um, but I have less mean things to say about them. But it's it's gonna be Wisconsin. I see Greg Gard in my nightmares. Um, but <laughs> it's yeah, it's like the the Big Ten winner just has to be a, a team that scores like fifty five points a game. They'll they'll find a way if Penn State does get hot to like to rig it somehow but yeah the the vibes out of uh fogo to chow and rosemont are are not great right now i'll change my pick from michigan to penn state that's who i'd like to win the big 10 i would, just I, would I would love if penn state won um but yeah i think it's gonna be wisconsin we'll see we'll see yeah. uh you mentioned wyoming i had them on the list they are they're five and nine, possibly the worst team, as you mentioned, in the Mountain West. Ike obviously out hurts this team. Hunter Maldonado's production has gone way down from last season. Uh, Noah Reynolds is actually their leading scorer, and he's he's been playing well this year. They just don't have anything on the interior that they can really point to at this point. Uh, and it it's really affecting how they are playing this season. Um, four straight losses. They've lost eight of their last ten. Um, after starting the season three and one, they're obviously five and nine right now. They had a chance against New Mexico, kept it close with Fresno State. I mean, they've, they're in a decent amount of these games. They are just not able to get over the hump. And at this point, it is win the Mountain West or bust for a team that had NCAA tournament aspirations preseason. Definitely, and very real ones. Um, but I think part of the problem is they were. I believe the most uh, post-up heavy team in the country yeah. last year or close to it. Um, Something take, like that. Yeah. You take away Ike and, you know, you don't have a similar interior threat to replace him with. And, you know, a lot of that goes away. It's a lot easier to, to help off onto Maldonado. Some possessions, I, I watched a lot of Wyoming last year and I, I loved them for a lot of Mountain West play and they played in Indiana. I got, really tired really quick because a lot of the possessions are just Maldonado walking the ball across half court and just backing into his man uh, all the mm-hmm. way down. Um, it just, it can be, it can be very plotting. And we, when you don't have enough um, individually talented guys in that system, it becomes an absolute chore and they're still playing at a snail's pace this year, 325th in tempo. Um, it's, it seems like they're trying to make the same thing work without the best player in that system, which, I mean, I understand if you don't have a, a completely different philosophy to fall back on, but I think at a certain point you got to make some adjustments and, and try to see if you can at least pick up some wins while you're without your best player, because now it's win the Mountain West tournament or you're not going to be in the, the big yeah. tournament. They, which they can do. That if EK's healthy, they they have the skill just between those two guys alone. Yeah. I mean, granted, the team itself is not that bad. They're just missing, I would say, their best player. 
Um, so they have the ability to go on a run for a couple of days in March and, and get to the dance. But it's it is really just coming down to that at this point. Yeah, it was really just like tread water until he's back and then see what happens. But they've I mean, they're they're below water at this point. Yeah, big time. Uh, last one for me is Baylor. Uh, they got Hilton Magic to death. Seven assists, 19 turnovers. That is uh, just not what Scott Drew wants to see at all. And just one of my favorite, uh, you know, just splits in college basketball. I kind of talked about this earlier in the season when he went off against North Carolina. Um, Caleb Grill hit five threes in this game. He is an okay shooter at home. In true road games, like their next one against Oklahoma, he's shooting 8% from three. Um, but just when the, the lights are brightest and it's a neutral court or he is uh, in the confines of Hilton, the man just makes it rain. Um, so, I mean, Iowa, Iowa State has certainly proven they're a solid team, but this was just an egregiously bad loss um, from a, a basic fundamental standpoint uh, from Baylor, who has had some great outputs this year. Um, this was just one to flush and leave behind in 2022. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it was ESPN. Someone had a strength of schedule predictor for the rest of the season and all 10 teams that have the top 10 remaining strength of schedule were the big 12. It was every team in the Big 12 was Love in the that. top 10. It just shows you how difficult that conference is top to bottom. You really cannot point at one team and say that's a win or that is a game that that I'm not worried about. Every road game is a battle. Every road game is going to be very difficult in this league, and that's what you see here. Iowa State, Hilton Magic is still a thing. It is still working. Um like you said, Baylor obviously fundamentally unsound throughout that entire game, but they need, you know, shape up because if you if you play if you if you lay a stinker on the road you're going to lose in the big 12 no matter who it's against yeah and kansas state has been good uh west yeah. virginia was just ranked tcu we rode off their 12 and one back in the top 20 um yeah oklahoma state exists only to give people trouble um when they're mm-hmm. highly ranked but yeah i i mean I don't, I don't know. Texas Tech might be the worst team in the conference this year, um, which someone uh, has to be. I, it, yeah, that that that's really what it comes down to. It's like so, someone does have to wear that crown. Um, they don't have to, but they will. I don't know. I mean, someone will. Yeah, <laughs> you can toss it aside if you want to, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's a true statement, regardless. Uh, yeah, no, I mean. When you started that sentence, it, it made sense where it ended up. Um, yeah, th- that's why more often than not, we get into situations uh, like last year with Oklahoma, where they're literally two games above 500, and we're still talking about them being potentially an NCAA tournament team. Mm-hmm. Someone will be that this year, whether it's Oklahoma State or someone else. There, there is going to be a team that, if you are just looking at the record devoid of any other context, you like, how are we talking about a 17 and 15 team like being anywhere near the the NIT, much less the NCAA tournament? But it's like, hey, Big 12 got, hoops, that's out. Yeah, got like four top 15 wins. Uh, <laughs> I was like, that. that's what happens. Um, yeah, so, I mean, Iowa State, again, just really remarkable turnaround the last couple of seasons. Uh, yeah. Against Otzelberger's, they're, they're going to be a tough out. But, yeah, it's... 
you you have to bring it every night. Baylor did not, and they got embarrassed. It's like that's mm-hmm. that's what you risk every time you you step out into a conference game. Absolutely. Uh, the last two, they're both going to be quick. One is Colorado, uh, just the most incredible yeah. resume <laughs> of any team in the entire country. Nine and six, one and three already in uh, Pac-12 play. They have wins over Tennessee, who was number eleven at the time. At the time, number twenty-four, Texas A&M. Colorado State, which is a whatever win at this point, they have lost to Grambling, UMass, uh, and now Cal, who was one of the last winless teams in the country. So credit to the Buffaloes because they do it at both ends of the floor, both ends of the spectrum here. Hey, it's, uh, Cal's a tough place to play. Um, but yeah, I, I think the rule of thumb for Colorado at this point is if there's ever a game where you feel confident, you know, what's going to happen, the opposite will. Right. Um, so ready for, uh, January 14th when Colorado is going to go into Pauly and upset UCLA. Um, so I think that's, that's the next thing that shouldn't happen that will, cause no one else has come close to touching, uh, Tennessee, except for someone I'm forgetting. Who am I forgetting? Arizona. That doesn't count. Yeah. Um, Arizona is legitimately good, but every other game, Tennessee has just seemingly been in complete control, really impressive win over Kansas, and then just let Colorado score all over them. That will never make sense to me. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm surprised. I'd be surprised if the tape still exists out there. It's probably been destroyed by Rick Barnes or his minions. Um, but yeah, it's good for uncle Mark at Cal. He's uh he's had a rough year, but yeah. Colorado, not making much just, sense over there. Just really impressive. And then to top it off, you have to give this a mention. Back-to-back seasons now, Purdue has lost as the number one team in America to Rutger, which is just unspeakably bad for, for so many reasons. But this one being at home is even more impressive because Rutger historically is a horrific road team. There's a tweet somewhere that I'll need to talk through as I look it up that they were bragging about, like Rutger fan base was bragging about saying, uh, people say we don't win on the road, and the list is just so bad, Sands, Indiana. Uh, yeah, uh, well, I can't really rebut that. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, th- this was one of those things I – I did not really watch much of the game yesterday. There were other things going on, but you uh, you kind of see that result and you're like, oh, Rutger, you know, the rack, now Jersey Mike's Arena, claims Purdue a gun. No, it's Mackey. It was Mackey. I mean, uh, one, of, one of the latter uh, arenas in the country, I will admit, um, being, being very nice to Purdue this show, but... Um, they did lose this game. It was embarrassing. And this is this is the future some in the Big Ten wants. Um, just games like this, really. And and that's that's where Rutger, all jokes aside, really excels. They muck it up with the best of them. They they frustrated Indiana to no end doing exactly that. Um, mm-hmm. just sometimes it, it is not really something you can describe as basketball. I mean, you know, Seton Hall and Rutger played a disgusting game. <laughs> it, it was not a basketball game. Yeah. It was the most vile thing these eyes have ever seen. And if I was a neutral, I would have turned the game off in about five minutes. But if like, if we're getting to the point where the, the, the best basketball teams in the conference are like 
these additions specifically of Rutger and Wisconsin, then I mean, it's no wonder that Kevin Warren is thinking about going back to the NFL. Like I, I, right. I, I see the vision, go get that bag young man. But uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is, this is not a great way. Like you knew Purdue was going to lose at some point. You would really love it to not be this game. Um, yeah. Like, hundred percent like, on it. Literally the next one, like at Ohio state, <laughs> I think that's completely excusable. Cause Ohio state for much of the year has looked pretty good. Um, when, when they haven't, they've looked really bad, but we're taking what we can get in the big Ten this year. Um, but so maybe we can say this was a, a trap game, but either way, I mean, they just, they really did not show up offensively. And it's kind of one of those things like, Zach Eady is great. He can only do so much. And and record right. does such a great job of not only like mostly clogging the paints, um, but just anytime you, you get a paint touch or try to even touch the ball, they are so, so physical um, and will just basically tackle you every time you touch the ball. Um, sometimes, within the rules of basketball. I don't know how to put it any better than that. Uh, but <laughs> that's that's kind of what happens. Like, you you have a definite size advantage, and then they just take that away as only they can. Um, so that's that's basically what happened. Um, I mean, you would think Zach Eady would have been able to shoot the ball a lot more. He did end up getting some of those at the line. But, I mean, it's how you have to defend Purdue. Um, they, yeah. They've got one really good player they have other guys who can you know lawyer and smith can beat you on given nights they're not going to do it every night so you have to take your chances with that yeah here here is the just murderer's row of road wins that rucker has since the 2019-20 season because that was the arbitrary line drawn in the sand there uh nebraska and purdue in 2019 and 20 2021 maryland indiana northwestern minnesota 21-22, Maryland, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Indiana, and then this year, Purdue. They are bragging about winning four games on the road in two seasons. It's uh, it's it's nothing short of incredible. Um, but to, just to top it all off, it's like what what a day it was for Purdue, getting absolutely boat raced by LSU in the, their bowl game and then losing to Rutgers at home as the number one team. Yeah. Just kismet stuff come on we're, we're bragging about beating archie miller in the year of our lord 2023 grow up <laughs> come on um all right so that'll that'll be it for us this week um we will be back next week um at some point probably after the national championship game to talk about that and then it's all basketball from here on out folks um so get excited for that i know we are we'll hopefully have some wins to celebrate and we will uh Talk about it with you here next week.